0: Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 14 The Life Burden Can you believe I'm sick 80? I can't even watch my flatmates make it anymore without being reminded of a customer. I don't think I'll ever be able to make a brew for myself again. It was a nice change when Finn suggested some coffee to get through a particularly dragging afternoon. No customers of any kind had come in, and I was beginning to think it was one of those unfortunate days where all I did was lose at cards. When he suggested the loser had to go and get the coffee, I may as well just have walked out there and then, instead of letting the two of them wipe the floor with me. But let's face it, it wasn't as if Kronos was buying the coffee. When I returned, trying to balance two cups in my hand as I unceremoniously kicked open the door, Finn had his heed bent down, staring into the glass cabinet fully sparkling jewels. I placed the coffee cups on the surface and eyed him wearily. His expression was pensive, eyes narrowed as if in deep thought, and he was gently biting one side of his lip. I gave in like an impatient bairn and asked him what he was doing. Rather than answering, he moved round me and back behind the counter, sticking his hand in and carefully pulling something out. After eyeing it for a few more seconds, he admitted that it looked familiar, but he could not remember why. This thing he'd pulled out was surprisingly dull and tarnished. It was a necklace wi' a grim silver chain that didn't look like it had been cleaned in decades, with a heart-shaped pendant hanging af it that didn't sparkle or shine. It was deep green and could either have been colored glass or some precious stone like an emerald. A part of me wanted to say it was costume jewellery, judging by how scruffy it looked. But as with everything in the shop, it could well have been some kind of stolen jewel from hundreds of years ago, worth a small fortune today. Finn remained silently and ferociously inspecting this necklace, so I turned to Kronos for answers whilst taking a sip of my coffee, hoping I wouldn't burn myself. He admitted it had been in the shop for a long time without anyone taking any interest. As to what it did, if hen at all, he either couldn't or wouldna say. It had been made especially for an American heiress during the 19th century, and nothing bad had happened to her. I ogled this scruffy-looking thing in Finn's hand. It was worth a small fortune if it had been worn by the rich of the Victorian era, Yet it wouldn't ha looked to a place in a bin. I queried how long it had been in the shop, to which Kronos answered just after the First World War. Well, that would explain why Finn recognised it. He'd probably stared at it many a time when he was Madame Norna's familiar, he just hadn't noticed it until now. I told him as much, although missing out the touchy subject of to his relationship with my boss. Yet, when I glanced up at him, all confusion and bemusement had vanished, replaced by clarity and joyful nostalgia. Something didn't fit right with his expression in my theory. Why would he look so happy that he'd recognised a random bit of jewellery he took no notice of before? It was almost as if it reminded him of someone. But that wasn't possible. Chronos said it had been languishing in the shop for a century with no owner. I started to get this weird feeling on the back of my neck and a wee voice whispering in my head. Ootie the blue, I asked Finn what age he was. Didn't he ask me where it came free? It was like the question just fell frae my mouth frae somewhere in the back of my mind where other secrets and connections are kept. His eyes snapped frae the necklace to stare straight into mine searching them to find if I was being serious. It was lightning quick, but I noticed his eyes dart to Kronos for a brief second. The same look the madam and he sometimes shot each other when I asked a difficult question, almost as if checking for permission to answer. He gave me one of his grins, all teeth showing, and answered, old enough to remember when the necklace was ruined on Ares's neck. No, I'd made the mistake. He taken a sip of my coffee right before he answered, and proceeded to take choke on it in my surprise. He wasn't he serious? He was taking the piss like he always did. I inspected him, waiting for the punchline. I knew deep down wasn't he coming. Finn doesn't he look that old? Before that day, I'd have said mid-thirties at the latest, younger than Madame Norna at least. But he was saying, "What was he saying? That he was over a century old." I really shouldn't be surprised, but can you believe there are still things in this new world a I mine mean, that can shock the fuck out of me? It also left the sticky question: If Finn was that old and didn't look it, then was it the same for others? I scanned round the shop, across the antiques, some younger than the Irishman standing opposite me. For my grumpy companion. No seeing or hearing him, I ended up asking aloud. Finn had been putting the necklace back in the counter, and at my question, he snapped the door closed a wee bit too firmly. I felt my eyebrow rise, and dismissively he answered, "Reed was out somewhere." You didn't say. I bet out some sarcastic reply that Finn took nay notice a as he started to come out free behind the counter. I challenged him why he didn't like Reed, rather why he was always so harsh on him. I'm finding it hard to believe I've gone fi no really liking my familiarity bein begrudgin pals. Reed may be rough round the edges, short-tempered and grumpy, but he's helped me a lot. Saved me for myself a few times and for a car. Our relationships improved over time, but I could not understand why Finn seemed hell bent on making theirs worse. Predictably, the answer was because he's a mongrel, because he never smiled, an endless list of reasons. It was said to be a petulant tone and grin, but there was a melancholy chime reflected on his features. I refused his answer, saying I didn't think that was the truth. He exhaled slowly, the pretense a mirth gone as his features lost their humorous shine. Finn confessed that he didn't hate Reed; He envied him. With the greatest timing, the bell above the door went and pulled our attention away for the most interesting piece of information I've heard in a while, barring Finn's ageing. The bad timing was further explained when Reed came in, accompanied by a lassie. They were laughing and smiling together, the easy a long term friendship, or something more. I couldn't tell just by looking. This is given me bad thoughts ever since. Before that day Reed was this abstract person, someone who only really existed within the realms a shop business. Yet when he came in with this lassie, looking friendly and at ease, I began to realise he had a life, just like me, outside the shop. And I didn't know a thing about it. It sounds so stupid now that I'm talking about it. Of course he has a life, family, pals, problems. But we've never spoken about them. I've never asked him. It'd only been a few minutes before when I was thinking we were new pals. But what sort of pals knew nothing about each other's personal lives? For all I knew, this lassie could be his missus. I'd never seen him look like the way he did, entering the shop, comfortable and happy. In the shop, he only ever wears a scowl. At the time, I could not dwell on these thoughts as the two came over to the counter where Finn Kronos and I were. Before I realised what was happening and who was who, the lassie had started talking to me. She confessed that she couldn't believe I was the madam. I was so young, I know what she'd imagined. The lassie was a wee bit shorter than me, with shoulder-length, honey-brown hair, and grey-green eyes staring at me wi what I assumed to be the awe that people stare at celebrities with. I think what surprised me more was that Reed laughed. It was more a snort, really, the sniggery someone who knows something their pal doesn't. he? Calling this lassie Izzy, he introduced me as the madam's apprentice, and that the madam herself would be upstairs. We a nervous chortle, Reed's pal confirmed that Reed had mentioned me, and that she felt like she knew me already. That raised a whole new set of questions. I couldn't contain myself and turned to a reading, surprise, stating that none of which she'd heard was probably complimentary. Izzy smiled, but didn't deny it. Further piling guilt, anger, irritation, or whatever it was, on the fiery my thoughts regarding reading me. Turns out this Izzy lassie was here to see the madam, although she never produced a card like the normal customer. Regardless, I led her upstairs, and to my surprise, Reed followed us. I wasn't sure what to say if he was even allowed in. I made tea like I usually do, and when I returned, Reed was sitting beside his pal on the customer sofa. The madam didn't say anything about him being there, so I wasn't a gunny. Like any other customer, my boss started we are usual, asking which she could help we. I'm usually curious about their reasons, but in this case it was doubled. I was actually interested in who this lassie was, her connection to Reed, and why she'd evidently used him to see Madame Norna. The room descended into a strange lowness, tinged by a fear that was by no means unusual in a customer, but had an edge, something sinister. She explained that there was a curse on her family that had been in effect for as long as anyone could remember. When the women and her family turned twenty-one, they slowly began to lose their minds. It'd start with hallucinations here and there, and over time these hallucinations had become intertwined with their reality, so they couldn't tell what was real or not. This, according to Izzy, would kill them before long. It had offed our granny and her mad been put in a care facility to stop her from hurting herself. Izzy turned 21 in a matter of weeks, and she wanted the curse to stop. After a few moments of quiet, Madame Norna queried if Izzy knew the origin of this curse. She answered that it was a blood curse from centuries ago, put on her family by which she called a rival clan. As to the exact person who cast it, they remained a mystery. It couldn't have been anyone for this rival clan though, because foxes did not have the ability to cast curses. That at least partly explained the connection between this lassie and Reed. Both were the same species, but I suppose it left more unanswered. I'm still fascinated with this shapeshifter thing. Yet another subject I've never asked Reed about. Can they change at will? Or is it like a full moon thing? Do they look like the foxes you see rifling through bins, or are they different? This customer wasn't gonna answer these queries, though. The Madam, in her matter-of-fact way, informed Izzy and Reed that she couldn't break the curse put on the family. I expected her to say something else, a uh, but or however. But nope, that was it. I glanced reluctantly to the customer's sofa and saw Izzy's face fall, almost looking as though she were going to start greeting. She exclaimed that she'd pay Madam Norna anything she wanted if she'd find a way to help her. Why do they always say anything? It's like most of the customers have no idea that anything is a possibility when it comes to my boss. Unmoved by the lassie's outburst, the madam kept her silence. Then it was Reed's turn, and the grumpy familiar I recognised returned. He demanded to know why Madame Norna wouldn't help. After further deliberation, she repeated that she could't break the curse, but she could protect Izzy from its effects. I knew then that it would be time for me to get up and go to the cabinet, and sure enough, the command came. I was to find a pendant on the second shelf that was round and silver. Beside the vials, bottles and boxes was a black leather court hanging free it was a round silver disc with a symbol inscribed on it. I felt like I'd seen a symbol like it before. When I was wee, my dad and I used to go camping during the summer holidays. One year we went somewhere in the north east Scotland and one day he took me to see this ancient stone pillar the markings on that stone pillar were similar to the ones on this pendant in the madam's cabinet that pillar i'd seen all those years ago was actually a pictish monument made and put where it was by the mysterious inhabitants of ancient scotland i didn't connect the pendant and the pillar at the time i just thought the symbol looked familiar i placed it on the coffee table and by the look Izzy was gain it, you'd have thought it was a snake about to pounce on her. I understood our fear when our next question was asking what the price would be. Half of your life was the simple yet haunting reply. I'm still no comfortable with knowing I live in a world where people can trade years of their life like gold in a pawn shop. I can't say I was that surprised though. The madam's prices are never money, yet always seem to have a significance or weight that makes them worth something. Personally, I didn't know how years of a person's life were stored. Perhaps there was a till I didn't know about. Reed was the first to voice an objection, protesting that it was too much. He wasn't surprised by the currency, though. I remembered back to a conversation I'd had with him some months previous. One where he told me people were scared of the madam because no one knew what her price was going to be. I understood that sentiment better knew. No wonder people were afraid. One minute they'd be living until they were 70, and after a visit to her they were looking at half that. Obviously people could refuse to pay, leave with their troubles unsolved. I got the impression that didn't happen a lot. Madame Norna, probably unaware she was looking like a fairy tale villain, explained that in order to protect Izzy's life and sanity, she'd need some of her life in return. Afterwards, offering the point that she didn't know how long she'd live. Half of her life could amount to nothing. In my opinion, even if she gave up half her life, she'd still probably live longer than she would do if this curse set in. Yet, the other side of that coin was that gian up half her life could leave her way a shorter time. The madam continued to say that Izzy'd be free to live her life, settle down we a partner, have bairns, whatever she wanted. However, any bairns, mainly daughters, she had of her blood, wouldn't be protected for the curse, nor would this protection reverse what had happened to her ma. There was a static silence blanketing the room. Reed wasn't happy and making sure we all knew about it. His pal, on the other hand, contemplated seriously. To be honest, I didn't think a decision like this one should be made immediately. We're talking about half of your life here. A few further questions followed. If Izzy made this deal, she'd never lose her mind. The madam confirmed, not free the curse. I didn't like this answer. Didn't he like the ambiguity? And I get a bad feeling in my gut just thinking about it. The second query was if the curse in her family could be broken. Yes, all curses were breakable somehow, just not by the madam. By this point, I was actually rooting for this lassie, Reeds' pal, to say she'd think about it and leave. Before the shop, I used to think I was the kind of person who'd say something, regardless of the situation. But I find that ever since becoming the madam's apprentice, sitting in on these meetings, I've become a silent observer. It's when I'm sitting at the coffee table, pouring the tea, that I feel I didn't have a right to give my opinion. Or say anything at all. This world, my world, is too grand, too sinister, and too unknown for me to interfere. Even if a wee voice in my head wants me to. Besides, she wasn't my pal. I didn't have a right to start giving out advice or opinions. I thought Reed would. But he too kept his silence. Izzy did not take time didn't he have a good hink, and accepted the madam's pendant in exchange for half of her life. As the lassie went to take the pendant, my boss gave one final explanation. Once Izzy put it on, she could never take it off. If she did, under any circumstances, its protection would wear off and the curse would play out. Madam Norna said this with a familiar enunciation that made me feel worse than already was. I wished it didn't sound so much like foreshadowing. With my stomach slowly knotting in on itself, I observed as Izzy happily took this pendant and slipped it round her neck, from where it was never to be removed. I dared a glance at Reed, and saw he, like me, felt the same trepidation. Finn and I both watched as Reardon and Izzy left the shop, but I couldn't shake the dark cloud that had settled itself on my mood. What would happen to her? Would that wee pendant really keep such a curse away forever? How long was half of our life? Finn noticed my doer look and told me I shouldn't fret. People didn't come to see Madam Norna if they were na desperate. Customers knew what they could get themselves into. I still didn't believe that's wholly true. If I try to find a silver lining, it's that Izzy is protected frae the curse. And she was amply warned about the consequences of taking the pendant off. And that's the last I hope ever to hear of that entire situation. As I heard Finn speak in Natter, I remembered our conversation before we did come in way his pal. His hatred for my familiar didn't stem free personal aversion, but free jealousy. If Finn thought he was getting of follow up questions, he was sorely mistaken. I asked plainly why he'd be jealousy Reed. The jovial curve to his features flattened to sadness, and he wouldn't meet my eyes. Because Reed didn't know what he had, being a familiar, it was a chore to him. Something he had to do to keep himself safe. I couldn't understand this answer. Rather, I couldn't understand why Reed's reasons for becoming ma familiar would annoy Finn so much. Then it dawned on me: Finn hadn't wanted to stop being my bossy's familiar, but his own actions had essentially forced her hand. He wanted to be her familiar again, but couldn't, and there was Reed. A familiar who hadn't really wanted to be one in the first place, but was. I pointed out to Finn that it wasn't the same, and that Reed would probably gladly switch places with him. That thought, although said jokingly at the time, has haunted me ever since. Reed became my familiar out of necessity. Are we really pals? Or do I only think we are because he's always there? Forced by the fox ring and circumstance, not to mention, is the reason he came to see Madame Norna in the first place still a problem? Does he still need my protection? And if he does need, what does that mean? Will he leave? Go back to his life? Am I keeping him for that life unnecessarily? I know I should talk to him, but I didn't want to. I want to be selfish. Just a wee while longer. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of The Antique Shop. Episode 15 will be released in two weeks' time. He admitted it had been in the shop for a long time without anyone taking in any and shit. It was almost as if it reminded him. I bet out some sarcastic reply that Flynn, Flynn, that Flynn took <laughs> I'm still fascinated by the bleh, 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 bleh. Reed was the, uh, Reed. Reed was the first. As I heard Finn speak and natter, I remembered our conversation before Reed had. T- <laughs> as I heard Finn speak and natter, I remembered our. Com- oh, fucking hell, woman. As I heard Finn speak and natter, I remembered our conversation before Reed had come in and as pal. Fucking hell, how many takes you want? If you'd like to support Ghostly Thistle and everything we do, then please head over to our coffee account by searching for Ghostly Thistle on Coffee.com and making a donation. If you'd like to get in touch with me about this show, my previous one, or anything else, then my email address is ghostly.thistle at gmail.com, or you can visit me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Well that was an easy one. <laughs> That was easy.